Heavenly Father, again, we're so blessed. We know we're so blessed because you've reminded us of how many promises we have in Christ Jesus, all that's been accomplished by him, which has been so great and so complete. And you've reached out to so many with this just faultless, faultless salvation, including even the declaration of righteousness, just justification and full and complete forgiveness of all of our sins, past, present, and future. Father, thank you for the word of grace and its power. Thank you that we have opportunity to be a witness to others of how you've blessed us. Pray that we would be bold uh, and uh, encouraged as we reach out and and not mince our words and, and not hold back, but tell uh, many uh, what they must hear. If they do not hear, they cannot be saved. So, Father, I just pray for us all who've been blessed so greatly that we would be true ambassadors for our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, there are many things to pray about, but uh, we do thank you for all things. We know you have us in the very center of your will and your work, and your will and your work goes on even in dark and troubled times, and certainly our nation is in the midst of that, as is the world. With things happening every day, every hour, and if we focused on that, we would be truly overwhelmed. But, Father, uh, we know that you're still at work and drawing many to yourself, opening hearts who are stressed uh, in ways they've never been stressed before and with anxieties perhaps they've never had before. And, and you're using those things to open the hearts of so many each day. And we know, Father, when you're finished with that great work, uh, you'll catch us up into your presence. And then this earth will go on under a different program. So, Father, uh, just give us uh, patience and calmness. May we truly rest in the always sufficient grace that you've poured out upon us through our Lord Jesus. We are thankful, Father, for much fellowship and encouragement. Uh, but, Father, we know your good hand is upon us, and we do pray for those that we've reached out to pray that they would receive the truth of grace that's been shared with them, that they might be saved. So, Father, now as we open your word, I just pray that the word of grace would uh, overwhelm our spirits, that we might be encouraged uh, considering the teaching uh, that the Apostle Paul was given for the churches. And I pray, Father, that uh, we would be thereby greatly prepared to reach out to others more effectively. And we would thank you, Father, in Christ's name, and amen. Okay, well, today, we're finishing up. Uh, I said we would take a two-part, two what I called introduction. Um, and this is an introduction to Paul's letter to the Romans, 
dispensationally considered. Uh, many have written about Paul's letter to the Romans explaining the doctrines taught there, and they've done so uh, from different perspectives uh, as far as their denominational perspective was concerned. This is, but, but they have written much. Probably more books have been written about Romans than anything else in the Bible over the years. And for good reason. And that's because Paul's letter to the Romans is the premier statement of doctrine for the church, the body of Christ. Uh, that letter has more in it a wider range of teaching and more detail uh, than any other letter concerning the doctrines of grace and how the Lord God is working today under grace. Um, there are other letters that are nearly as complete, in some ways more detailed. One would be the letter to the Ephesians, another the letter to the Colossians. Um, and we're talking about doctrine. I mean, doctrine is in all the letters, as we saw from Second Corinthians. There was so much there. But Second Corinthians had a focus of the practical side of it more than uh, the theology of it, the practical side of it. And where Paul sets forth his uh, own um, you could say his own, I was going to say his own apostleship, but certainly more than that. He sets forth his own life as an example of how God is working under grace today for the believer. And, uh, and, and that becomes a foundational teaching, uh, very important and complementary to what we find in, in the Romans or in the Ephesians letters. But in the Romans letter, it's a long letter, and there are many teachings there, including much about how God's plan down through the ages has changed. But he weaves that into the teaching in such a way that many write commentaries on the Romans and miss the dispensational aspect altogether. And it's a sad thing, but what we'll try to do as we go through this letter will be to focus on that aspect uh, specifically. So that will be our orientation. Paul's letter to the Romans dispensationally considered. But the teaching in Romans is not without a context, historically. And uh, for that reason, Paul often writes about the differences between his teaching concerning the grace of God and teaching that had gone before. After all, the entire uh, Old Testament already existed when Paul wrote his letter to the Romans. And the Old Testament is all about law, either Moses' law or in some, some ways future law, the law of the kingdom. Um, so when Paul writes his letter to the Romans, he, he needs to distinguish Romans and 
the doctrine given there from what had gone before, because there were many differences. And once Christ had offered himself up as our perfect sacrifice and uh, had thereby fulfilled the requirement of God, paying the full penalty for our sins, once that had been occurred and Christ was gloriously raised from the dead, then everything was set, the stage was set for a radical change in how God could relate to man, because now the perfect sacrifice had been provided once and for all. And so when Paul writes to the Romans, he's able to write from that perspective. It's after the cross, not before the cross, whereas the entire Old Testament uh, is written from the perspective of there being a way forward, uh, ultimately provided, but it had not been provided yet. There were many hints and many foreshadowings of what would come eventually that were given in the Old Testament. And there certainly were prophets who revealed a lot about God's future plan. But they were still living under Moses' law uh, throughout that time. And therefore, uh, there were certain blessings of God that were yet future that they themselves had not yet uh, come to know or experience. So Paul has to dis differentiate, he has to distinguish, he has to you know, show the contrast when he writes about grace, contrast with what the circumstances were under the law. And so in all of his letters, there's some em emphasis of this. Certainly that's true in Romans as well. Last time we looked at uh, Romans 7 as part of our introduction, and then in chapter 8, where we saw life-changing teaching indeed, and I'm sure we were all blessed looking at Romans 8 last time. But when we looked at, at Romans 8, we saw that there was a very bold statement there about the law and about the flesh and about the righteousness of God and about how no one could keep that righteousness uh, under the law because of the flesh. It was uh, always standing in the way, right? And so there's been a great change made because of the cross. It's changed everything, really, for the believer. So Paul is going to necessarily, in Romans, deal with these differences. You remember what Romans 8 the first four verses said. I'll read them again now. He starts out stating boldly in verse 1 of Romans 8 that there is, meaning now, present tense, present time, there is therefore now no condemnation. <laughs> well, under the law, there certainly was condemnation, but he says there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, okay? Then he, he goes through a few verses here explaining it all. And then in verse 3, he says, for what the law could not do. So there were limitations to the power of the law. It could not accomplish certain things. Many, I think, fail completely to grasp onto this. They really do believe that we are still under the law today, and they really do believe that 
we can keep the law by our own efforts. They really do believe. They would ultimately say, well, it's really the Holy Spirit of God who is enabling a, a sort of after word, bringing the Spirit of God into it. But their daily living is very much under the law. And uh, that's a sad thing because that is not how God has chosen to work today. He's working today under grace, not law. Okay. So verse three states it very boldly for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Not so that we might keep the law, but rather that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who are walking, really, as I pointed out last time, that means living, living not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So the law required obedience and uh our obedience has been accomplished. How? In the cross. In the cross. Um, so we were included in the work of Christ on Calvary's cross in such a real way that uh, he took our sin upon himself. And that was so that he might provide his righteousness to us. That's as I said last time, and that was our major focus, his righteousness has been imputed to our account. In other words, from God's perspective, he sees us right now. He sees you, he sees me as righteous. And as Paul goes on in Romans 8 to explain, not even a charge can be brought against us, even by Almighty God, because when the Lord God sees us, he sees us through his son and through uh, what his son has already accomplished. So that work of Christ is all past tense. The blessings now continue present tense. And so we stand before God righteous, not as potentially sinners under the law, but righteous. And so that's truly changed our relationship to the Lord God completely. And there are many, many blessings that have flown, flown, <laughs> that have uh, come to us uh, as a result of that. Now, we can still work, uh, live in the realm of the flesh and in the realm of sin. Any believer can choose to do this. If you do, you'll certainly be miserable indeed, but we'll still be righteous in God's sight because he sees us through Christ's completed work and therefore as righteous in him. So these words in Christ and in Christ Jesus mean so very, very much. Well, our outline to today will be to continue on answering the question, how free is free? Last time we began with that and considered how general it is that we've been blessed under grace. He says we have received every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus in the heavenlies, right? 
So we already have that. And we looked at some of the specific blessings, mostly derived from Romans chapter 8 last time. But today I want to continue and finish up answering the question, how free is free, (laughs) by um, focusing on two things. And that is, first of all, that we have received a full, complete, and eternal forgiveness of our sins. That's the Pauline teaching. Our forgiveness has been already provided. It is full, it is complete, and it is eternal. We are, we stand, forgiven by God. Why do we want to focus on forgiveness in particular? Well, the reason is this is a major disputed topic today uh, amongst uh, believers. Many do not believe it at all. They believe our forgiveness is dependent upon all kinds of requirements, confession, for example, uh, and uh, our way of life and so forth and so on. And uh, they go to other teachings um, to prove that point. They don't go to Paul to prove it, (laughs) because if they did, they would see that we already have received full, complete, and eternal forgiveness. That's the bottom line today under grace. So we want to look at the Pauline teaching first. And the second point will be to look at the differences. How free is free? Well, uh, there are many contrasts with the law. The law certainly doesn't uh, comply with the terms of grace. It's quite contrary to it. And so we'll see how other teachings really do conflict with that of the Apostle Paul, and we have to put it all in a dispensational context to understand it. So there's much confusion today because the dispensational view is ignored, or in fact, it is denied, and uh, many teach contrary to it. But the glories of God's grace are so wonderful. And so we're certainly going to start out today considering that full, complete and eternal forgiveness of our sins, according to Paul, what is the teaching? So let's begin. And I have some readings I've selected. And the the focus will be on forgiveness. Okay, so first of all, and uh, we'll have... uh, Gail, read that, Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 7. Gail, please read that for us. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. In whom? Who's that about? It's about Christ, of course, (laughs) right? In whom we have, you see that past tense, We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Now, you've read this a hundred times, maybe a thousand times, right? And maybe not considered how different this is from what was revealed previously, right? That it's past tense, that there are no conditions laid down. It doesn't say what you have to do to receive this. He just says you have it. So if you're a believer... Today, you've believed the gospel of grace, then you 
possess forgiveness because of the riches of his grace. That's what Ephesians 1, 7 says. Okay, that's a blessing we have today uh, according to the principles of the current dispensational plan of God, where the completed work of uh, Christ on the cross has accomplished this for us. And we have been so blessed. Oh, praise God. Paul writes of it in other places, too, in Colossians 1.14. Elizabeth, please read it there at Colossians 1.14. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So you have and I have as believers today through the Lord Jesus Christ and his completed work, we have redemption, which includes the forgiveness of our sins. Well, is that being taught everywhere today in the churches that you have already that? Well, the churches are teaching you how to get it. <laughs> They're teaching you how to maintain it, how to get it after you've lost it etc., right? Not that you have it always. We have it because uh, we are in Christ and his righteousness has already been imputed to our account. That's called justification, remember? Justification. Um, And because of that, no charge can be brought against us. So we stand righteous before God fully and completely and eternally forgiven of any sin, past, present, and future. It's very clearly revealed by Paul in these verses. Then, Patty, read for us Ephesians chapter 4.32 that applies it practically in an interesting way. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. So Paul says here that believers should forgive one another. What is that talking about? That's talking about things that have occurred in our lives whereby another person has done something to offend us or to harm us, right? And he says we ought to forgive them. But notice the basis for that forgiveness. He says we ought to forgive them even as God, for Christ's sake, hath, hath already, right, forgiven you. Okay, so we stand forgiven always before God. But in the human realm, we should forgive others, but on the basis that God has already forgiven us. And so we stand forgiven before God. Now, there are many implications of this, practically speaking, one of them, we see here, changes the whole relationship amongst believers to understand how we stand perfectly forgiven by God. In fact, it gives us a a place to stand in our relationship to others. It changes everything, in other words. Uh, Notice that there are no limitations or prerequisites on our forgiveness before God, therefore. There are no limitations or prerequisites. We've been freely granted these things. 
Now, in Romans 8, last time we saw that there were a number of things that had already been given to us, but forgiveness wasn't on the list, which is interesting. Justification was, but forgiveness was not on that list in Romans 8, 29. You might have wondered why not. Um, why include justification but not forgiveness? And I believe the answer to that is is a dispensational one. And uh, I hope that our teaching today is a blessing to you in opening your eyes to a certain thing that you may not have seen clearly enough before. It took me many, many years, I've <laughs> just confessed, to understand this. But when you read, and if you do a word study, you'll certainly learn that Forgiveness is a very major topic in the Bible. The whole Bible goes all the way back to the beginning. Um, the Old Testament has many, many references to forgiveness. Uh, <laughs> and we're going to quickly look at some here today just to understand what the context was under the law for forgiveness. Because certainly forgiveness was mentioned many, many times under the law but not in quite in the same way it is today, under grace, okay? So forgiveness is very much a topic under the legal system that God imposed upon the nation of Israel. In fact, they were given a whole sacrificial system that related directly to that subject of forgiveness. Because as sinners, sinners are separated from God. How can a sinner have any relationship to God at all unless the Lord God is merciful, right? But how can God be merciful with sin? Sin is uh, just separates from, from him uh, in every possible way. So he laid down a sacrificial system uh, and a whole religious system around that to provide for a covering for sin. It wasn't full and complete forgiveness that they had. They did not have that. They All they had was a covering for their sin. And so let's consider that. But there was a hope that the Old Testament revealed that someday there could be a perfect forgiveness provided to the people of God. That was the hope looking forward. So if we compare the old situation uh, to the new under grace, we see that the one looked forward, actually, to the hope of the cross, while the other looks back. That's a big difference indeed. One had the future earthly kingdom in view, while the other, grace, has our eternal and heavenly hope in view. One promised the Holy Spirit, <laughs> who would enable the keeping of a kingdom law. The other provided the indwelling of Christ and the Spirit in us all now as our hope of glory. The one offered a forgiveness dependent on many things, including repentance, confession, and forgiveness of all others. While the other, grace, provides a perfect forgiveness as our reality now, the free gift of a full and complete forgiveness independent of any of our works. The one offered a salvation dependent on our obedience to do all that the Lord has commanded. Certainly it demanded faith as well, taking God at his word, 
but added that one must keep the law, which in that case included a sacrificial system. Otherwise, no one would have any access at all to God, right? Well, the other, grace, provides a salvation that's been a free gift to us in spite of our disobedience and sin. So we have a high and heavenly basis now uh, based upon having been forgiven once and for all. Praise God. Is grace enough? God's glory to be manifested then, he might ask? Or must we still keep laws? <laughs> and the answer is grace is enough. And in fact, if the grace of God overwhelms us, we will have our lives transformed. So it's, you're not going to have an issue with uh, uh, asking forgiveness of God continuously because you're going to recognize the fullness of God's grace and that will be transforming in your life style indeed. And that's just the bottom line. Knowing grace properly does change one's life. Okay, so I think that's that's the Pauline teaching on it. Now let's look at some quick contrasts with the law uh, in specific terms. And first of all, uh, I would like us to read out of the book of Acts uh, because the Apostle Paul, when he goes on his missionary journeys, goes into Gentile nations. But he first of all went to the synagogues to preach. In other words, he's preaching to the Jews in synagogues in far places. Uh, and in Acts 13, uh, he's preaching actually in Antioch of Pisidia. And uh, in that great message, and it is a great message indeed, you should really read the whole thing in Acts chapter 13 uh, as soon as you can to get the whole story that we're looking at here today. But uh, We'll just read part of it. And so I'd like um, Linda to read beginning in verse 26 of Acts 13. Linda. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. But they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and they laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. Thank you, Linda. But God raised him from the dead. <laughs> okay, and as a result of that, the Apostle Paul, some considerable years later, it's now preaching here in the synagogue to Jews who knew the law, right? And what is he preaching? He's preaching a risen Savior, right? And uh, continuing that reading then, Lydia, would you like to read please Acts 13, 38-41? But it be known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things, from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. 
Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you, which is spoken of, of in the prophets. Behold ye deciphers, and wonder, and perish, for I, for I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, through man declare it unto you. Oh my. So Paul is preaching a message to Jews. These Jews were dedicated to the word of the Lord that they had. They had the Old Testament. They had the law, right? And um, they believed that they had been justified according to their obedience to that law and to their faith that related to that law. That's what they believed, right? But what Paul is teaching here is that the circumstances have changed. He says... You could not be justified by the law of Moses. But through a risen Christ, he says, what I'm preaching to you is the forgiveness of sins, you see. So they did not have the full and complete forgiveness of sins previously. Now, he says, that is offered to you. And how? Through the risen Christ and faith in him, right? So he says, through this man... The risen Lord Jesus is preached by me now unto you, the forgiveness of sins. And by him, all that believe are justified from all things from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. Okay, so under the law of Moses, therefore, there was no full forgiveness, nor was there a complete justification. Everything was rather in the terminology and under a system of of, uh, sacrifices and uh, offerings. And uh, there were many requirements, therefore, to obtain any level, any kind of forgiveness at all. One had to uh, confess exactly as had been written. Uh, One, in fact, had to offer a sacrificial animal. And uh, this was all part of the system. So Paul says that has now been terminated. We are now in a situation where Christ is the completed sacrifice. And he has been gloriously raised from the dead. How glorious. How glorious is this? A risen Savior. Oh, my. (laughs) So, well, forgiveness under the law... Uh, was still in effect, uh, was not available. There was no true forgiveness possible then. But nevertheless, under the law and by the prophets, forgiveness is so often mentioned. So how can this be, right? Uh, If no forgiveness in the true sense was possible before Christ's own sacrifice, how could God offer it? And in what sense did he? And the answer is he offered it under the terms of the covenant, the old covenant, but it was a limited, it was a partial uh, forgiveness that was offered, not the full and complete that we possess today. And I'd like you to turn quickly. There is a a section of scripture that that says so much about this in 1 Kings 
and that's in chapter 8. And this is the circumstance where Solomon has finished the building of the temple and now is dedicating it. And these are the words of dedication that Solomon proclaims, um, considering the glorious temple that has now been uh, fully constructed. And this is in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 29. You'll see what all the requirements were on forgiveness, right? And how limited it was. Okay, so he says in verse 29, that thine eyes may be opened, toward, speaking of the Lord God, he's referring to God, that thine eyes may be opened toward this house night and day, even toward the place of which thou hast said, my name shall be there that thou mayest hearken unto the prayer which thy servant shall make toward this place. And hearken thou to the supplication of thy servant and of thy people Israel, when they shall pray toward this place. And hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place. And when thou hearest, forgive. If any man trespass against his neighbor, and an oath be laid upon him to cause him to swear, and the oath come before thine altar in this house. Then hear thou in heaven, and do, and judge thy servants, condemning the wicked to bring his way upon his head, and justifying the righteous to give him according to his righteousness. When thy people Israel be smitten down before the enemy, because they have sinned against thee, and shall turn again to thee and confess thy name and pray and make supplication unto thee in this house, then thou hear in heaven and forgive the sin of thy people Israel and bring them again unto the land which thou gavest unto their fathers. 35. When heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against thee, if they pray, toward this place and confess thy name and turn from their sin when thou afflictest them then hear thou in heaven and forgive the sin of thy servants and of thy people Israel that thou teach them the good way wherein they should walk and give rain upon thy land which thou hast given to thy people for an inheritance so you see there was a certain level of forgiveness offered, but it re was based upon many requirements. Uh, and we see such a list here as praying towards uh, Jerusalem, towards the temple, such as uh, confession, such as repentance, and the offering up of sacrifices, all according to the requirements of the law. So that was the situation under the first covenant. But the prophets wrote of a future time and to a better provision, uh, which Jeremiah, the prophet, even called a, a new covenant. And uh, this is in Jeremiah 31. I'll just read a couple of verses. Verse 33, Jeremiah 31. Looking forward, okay. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. 
and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So the prophet Jeremiah looks to the future with the view of perfect forgiveness that the Lord God will ultimately provide. And that will be, of course, as we know from other scriptures in the coming kingdom uh, when they will have forgiveness at the beginning of the kingdom every person there will be a believer and you see that from the scripture we just read okay what a difference from under the first covenant under the law so we see that perfect forgiveness had conditions attached uh, under moses law but the true forgiveness would only come later. Oh, praise God, we have already received it. Are you thankful? Are you praising the Lord every day, every hour, that you already have received a full and complete forgiveness? The Jews didn't have it. They couldn't. They had a religious system that God had provided. It allowed them access, in a sense, to the religious uh, uh, life offered there under the law, right? But uh, it was not a true forgiveness, and every sin confessed had to be reconfessed again on the Day of Atonement every year as a result. They did not have true forgiveness. And then our Lord, in the famous sermon, <laughs> you remember it's called the Sermon on the Mount, he's looking forward to that same kingdom that same kingdom in fact he says thy kingdom come uh, in uh, matthew 6 10 right he says in verse 12 forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors uh, so looking forward uh, they're not there yet right they have a view of a coming kingdom but they're not there yet and so they don't yet have under moses law complete forgiveness but nevertheless they must ask and they must ask properly. And they must forgive those that have offended them. And if they do not, they will not be forgiven. Uh, that's what he stated there from the Mount. Verse 14, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. So until the completed provision that Christ made on the cross, the perfect sacrifice had been made, there was only a partial forgiveness that could only look forward to the completed one uh, in due time, right? Um, that continued, interestingly, after the cross, uh, as the twelve went forth preaching to Israel, right? Uh, and there were still requirements laid down even after the cross until finally Israel uh, and the ministry to Israel was uh, changed through Paul. Uh, 
We read of that like in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Remission, forgiveness, was offered with conditions, preconditions. In this case, repentance and baptism by water, right? That did not continue on. <clears throat> Today, there are no conditions, as we've already seen. So we see there are dispensational differences. We have to be careful to take Scripture in contest, compare Scripture with Scripture. Understand that the full forgiveness that comes with complete justification has already been provided to us according to the riches of his wonderful grace. I'll read it again. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Amen and amen. We were dead in trespasses and sins, but now have been made alive through Christ. God found a way to reconcile sinners to himself through the sacrifice of his precious son. So unconditional forgiveness has been granted to everyone who has believed today. We stand justified and forgiven. Who can bring any charge against us? <laughs> How free is free today? Free indeed, right? Even justified, forgiven fully, and forever. Well, this teaching, when received, changes one's whole perspective to what it means to be a Christian, does it not? We're no longer religious. We've been set free from religion. We now have reality, right? We have had so many blessings. Paul says every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies already provided. I'm wondering if there are any amens out there. I'm listening. Any amens? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Enjoy the Lord, all. And if you do have any questions, uh, we'll take a moment. But uh, probably you're all so astounded as I am just considering the unlimited nature of the grace of God towards us. Praise God. Any questions or comments, though? Hmm. Thank, you. Thank you for the, uh, the preach. Uh, yeah, the forgiveness. Well, forgive. If you just look at this word in Greek, it's actually originated from grace. So, indeed, without grace, there's no forgiveness. Amen. So, we're given the grace. So, we can use that as a gift to give to others, to forgive others. Makes sense? It's interesting that the word, the root word for forgiveness actually means to send away, okay? But when Paul in Ephesians 4.32 
he he mentions forgiveness and he says, forgive others even as you have already been forgiven. He uses a different word. The word is the word grace, slightly modified, <laughs> uh, just to uh, reaffirm what you've just said there, Lewis. Praise God. Yeah, forgiveness uh, truly is based on the grace of God. Amen. Okay, well, enjoy the Lord all. Let's uh, close in prayer, though, before we finish up today. Heavenly Father, again, uh, your word uh, stands there clearly written. Uh, the enemy seeks to destroy this word, seeks to remove it from our hearts, if only he could, seeks to bring us into confusion so that we place ourselves back under some kind of law. But, Father, uh, enable us to stand boldly on the word of grace, for indeed, Father, that is your word to us today. Praise your holy name and praise our Lord Jesus, who has accomplished it all for us. And nothing can change that, uh, Father. We have an eternal hope and uh, our sins are forever. Cast aside, never to be brought against us again. Oh, wonder, wonder, wonder of all. Thank you, Father, in Christ's name, and may this, the, the, the blessing of this truth be transforming us daily and hourly. And may we be bold for you to share it with others. In Christ's name I pray, amen.